So we have the Ark of the Covenant, and I want to thank uh, two of our Living Word carpenters, Donnie and Adam Kruby, who is now with Living Word Northwest, but they built this. Uh, the Lord put this on my heart. Let's build an ark and then and do, do a teaching. Um, <laughs> really, it's about Jesus Christ, the teaching, but let's build it. You can't build it to specification um, because God didn't made sure that he didn't put all the details in here. This is probably very close, so it wouldn't be replicated. It's a kit that you order for $500. This is not real gold, all right? And um, it was my, in June, I keep saying it's my idea. Yes, it was my idea. And they started building it, got it done in December. Uh, I wasn't up till February, and then Jamie used it. <laughs> so who knows what he said? I think he just wanted to sit on it, right? We're seated with Christ. Thanks, Jamie. Then, past, then the Spanish church used it, so finally right? Finally. So if you hear some repeat between me and Jamie today, uh, there, there might be a little. Um, Jamie and I, thank you. So, <laughs> all right. Jamie and I, my father is a grammar major. Did you guys understand? Did you guys know that? English major. English major. Jamie, Jamie and I, dad. Jamie and I. And so if we could bring the offering buckets up, we're going to go ahead and take the offering. I want to thank you so much for giving. Um, if you feel pressure to give, then you should not give, according to the Bible. But thank you for giving to this church. Actually, you built this, all right, so we could teach you about it. We're just going to pray over the offering. Father, we give this to you. It says in Hebrews that our tithes are actually a witness that Jesus Christ lives right now on this earth. So do exactly what you said with what is given today in the next service and last night, Lord. Use this to be a witness that Jesus lives on this earth in the last days. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. This is a two to three week series. I do have the honor of doing next Saturday night. Um, and we continue it. Then the Saturday night after that, Dad will be back next Sunday morning. And uh, we're going to start by looking at King David. If you really go through his life in detail, you look at how often it was that he received blessing and he got blessed all the time. All the time. You know, let's just go through. He had un merited favor in regards to multiple sins under the law. They were under the Ten Commandments. You know, murder and adultery um, under the Ten Commandments by the order of the law written on stone. The New Testament calls it the ministry of death. That's a whole nother sermon. But the law, uh, should have, he should have been stoned twice. But he didn't. His His Judgment was tempered with mercy. He had extreme problem, but he kept his throne. And that's just the beginning. His son was the wisest, richest man that ever lived and spent half his life drunk, if you study it out, but extremely blessed. I'm not saying let's all go get drunk and blessed. <laughs> I'm just pointing this out, how these guys were blessed and they had favor. Think about David. God told David and Solomon he didn't want them to have a bunch of wives and concubines. David had hundreds. Solomon had over a thousand. And they were constantly blessed. So how do they make these mistakes and, and still 
continue to thrive when David was left out of the lineup with his brothers and Samuel was looking for who would be king. God wasn't like any, mini miny mo. He picked David for a reason. Why did he pick David? This, this all connects. This all connects because David is huge in regards to the ark. And you'll find out um, there's something in his heart that God saw. He was a man after God's own heart. I mean, think about Goliath, the stone indenting him between the eyes. One perfect throw by a 16-year-old boy. God made sure that stone struck true. God made sure David, the 16-year-old boy, out of two huge armies, goes into combat one-on-one in a winner-take-all situation. Sounds like the movie Troy. I mean, you know, it's funny. They used to do this in the old days, but it never worked out winner-take-all. No one ever honored that, right? And so God was just giving David an opportunity, think of it this way, to kill one of the most skilled, trained warriors in the world at the age of 16, completely untrained. Militarily, he had a sling. Killed a lion and a bear. But you know, God said, he pushed it. David pushed it. I can take him. I can take him. They put, he just kept, they, they were so scared, they were willing to put a 16-year-old out there. And God's like, here's your chance. So God makes him king, and the wealth that he brought in from surrounding nations was astounding just to honor David. The favor that he had in the midst of his mistakes Psalm 1 and 2, Psalm 1, verse 2 and 3, New King James, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, that his delight was in the Bible. Think about it, he only had the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, but he delighted in that, and he meditated, we're going to come back to that, day and night, and if you do that, you're like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water, it's hard for you to be uprooted. You're going to be healthy. That brings forth your fruit in its season. Your leaf never withers. And whatever you do prospers, including your mistakes. The commentary from the Spirit-filled Bible on that word meditate. To reflect, to moan, to mutter, to ponder, to make a quiet sound such as sighing. God said he heard the Israelites sigh. He hears your sigh. To contemplate something. As one repeats the words, it represents something quite unlike English meditation. In Hebrew thought, to meditate on scriptures is to repeat them in a soft, droning sound. This, this is, I would rather do that all day than read. I have to make myself read, but I'll do that. I'll do that out loud. Especially now, I'm telling you, there's power in speaking the word out loud. Think about it. We can't technically lay hands. What do you have besides your words? And so, it utterly, okay, listen to what they do, though. They meditate and they repeat in the, on a droning sound while uttering, uh, uh, utterly abandoning themselves to outside distractions. From this tradition comes a type of Jewish prayer called devaining, that is reciting the text, praying intense prayers, or getting lost in communion with God. While wow. you've seen them do this in the airports over there in Tel Aviv or in New York? He's using, they're doing the scriptures. There's something to that. Have you ever prayed and gotten into a flow? I know this is out, this is so out there online, all right? Stay with me, but you get into a flow. I don't know how to explain it. Sometimes I can be side to side. 
All right? But this dynamic form of meditation goes all the way back to the time of David. Um, it's a uh, responsible commitment in God's prosperity plan, God's prosperity Whatever he does prospers. We're talking about your family, your children, your business, your ministry, your job, and your health. It means God intends what he says. Everything you set your hand to shall prosper. So if one thing doesn't, oh, it just doesn't work. Is that where we are? However, no promise of God is without action. No one will prosper until he starts doing what God says. And I'm not talking necessarily about obedience. I'm talking about being in his will. Many people want to get promised results without responsible commitment, but none of us will ever gain anything in just an instant. What does he say? Be still and know that I am God. The truly worthwhile takes time to develop. He's not going to leap and give you answers based on your schedule. You know, it's just like getting a college degree. It's after four years of study. I do not believe God will withhold any blessing if you are in an alignment with his plan. David was in alignment with his plan and made a lot of mistakes within the alignment. Okay, that's why the New Testament prayers are actually teaching you to pray. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1, Philippians 1. They're teaching you to pray to be in alignment with his plan. You should pray that for your children. Can I quote God the Father on David? He said, David is a man after my heart. That's quoting God. I remember hearing a couple of sermons uh, in this sanctuary years ago from different ministers saying David was a man after God's own heart because he was quick to repent. I'm going to prove that wrong. Go back to the scripture. Let's find out. This all ties in with the Ark of the Covenant. They're thinking in terms of his sin, right? That he was quick to repent. But I can list a lot of other people, major players, i.e. Moses, was quick to repent, was never called a man after God's own heart. Never. He just told me to touch the wings. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> only David has the title in the Bible, a man after God's own heart. Here's the clincher. You can study it out for yourself. When, David called, when God called David a man after his own heart, David had not sinned with Bathsheba or murdered her husband. He had not done that yet. God's like, oh, he's a, he's a man after my own heart. So he, he couldn't have repented for that yet. Therefore, David being quick to repent is not the reason why I believe that God called him a man after my own heart because it was when he was young, 19. He sinned with Bathsheba later. It's pretty clear on that. Really, you could say the secret of, the, of David being a man after God's own heart is the secrets of God's blessing in our, on a daily basis for us. We will see this. You know, I was at the end of an Israel trip in the Dead Sea with my mother. And we get the last day we get in a van for a three-hour ride to the Tel Aviv through the mountains uh, of the Dead Sea. And I'm just in the back of the van. My mom's in the front. And uh, I, look, I was looking, and, and the Holy Spirit said to me, so here, here comes a ravine. Look up the ravine. Dave, um, Saul was chasing David in that very ravine. And I, was, I didn't know anything about this. With the, I knew it was around Israel, and I was like, hey, mom, where was Saul chasing David around? 
in this country where? Jim, right up here in these mountains, right all around here, Jim. Just imagine it. You know, I was like, I had no clue. And then I, to verify what came into my spirit, I asked. So I believe God that he was really chasing him in that ravine, right? How does that pop in my head? And so it, just a little kind of side things then. So let, do you think the devil's going to tell you something like that? Let's just break it down, okay? So let's, let's go to this psalm that David wrote when he was on the run, probably 19 or 20 years old. This is hard to picture. No offense, millennials. If you know a lot of 19 or 20 years old people, people that are 19 or 20 years old. Sorry, Dad, right? Psalm 132, 5, he's on the run from Saul. This is what he said. He says, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. But he's not even thinking about himself. He swore to the Lord. He says, I swear to you, God. I vow to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not go into the chamber of my house, go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for you. So he's talking to him. I'm gonna find a place for you, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. In verse five, what we just read, this is the commentary out of the New King James. It says, find a place where the Ark of the Covenant could be placed. He's 19. He's not even king. And he's thinking about this. Interesting little tidbits here. Psalm 132.5. Until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place. Psalm 132. What's your dwelling place? Right? Your body is the temple. Behold, we heard of it in, we'll just call that word Ephesians. Okay, just kidding. We found it in the fields Fields of the woods. We heard the ark was here. And we had to find it. So that tells you where they had slid. Under Saul, they didn't even know where it was. They didn't even know where the ark was under the current king. Who was currently trying to kill him when he wrote this. You know, reading commentary again out of the spirit-filled Bible written by Thomas Nelson. Commentary on Psalm 132. Six, the Ark of the Covenant had been located in the city of Forest before David brought it back to Jerusalem. He actually says, we found it. So that means they had to go looking for it. And so Psalm 132.8, arise, O Lord, unto thy rest, thou and the Ark of thy strength. He's talking about the Ark. Says, Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. Arise in the Hebrew is the actual Hebrew word for the act of moving the ark. How do you know this? Because that Hebrew word shows up in Numbers 10, 35, and 36 when God is giving instructions how to move the ark. So this is very, very clear. David wanted to move the ark of the covenant. Nobody had thought about the ark. And, 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 and they didn't know exactly where it was. First Chronicles 28.4, Howbeit the Lord God of Israel chose me, this is David, before all the house of my father, sorry bros, to be king over all Israel, for he hath chosen Judah, that's his tribe, to be the ruler, and the house of Judah, and the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he liked me. Does it say liked up there? He liked me. 
See, when they say like to you in Israel and Hebrew, it's the same word that's written, he liked me today. So David said, God made me king because he liked me. God loves everyone, but God liked David. I'm not saying this is God's point of view, but how many people out there love someone that annoy you? You have people that you love, that you, that you like to be around, and you have people that you love that you don't want to be around very long, but God likes David. You could say you have people you love that you don't necessarily like at times. I can remember being stuck with three-year-old Jamie Hammond, and I loved him, but I really didn't like him. <laughs> at times, I know parents, and I've, I've only got two kids and they're grown, but how many families have you seen where it's so obvious that one kid is the favorite? And the parent, oh, they love them all the same. Now, even twins I've seen it, where a parent, one is the obvious favorite, right? We see it, okay? Last night I said that, and a girl, in the, 13-year-old girl in the front row raised her hand. <laughs> it's, it's, and I was like, what, you're the favorite? And shook her head. It's not a question of God's love. It's not a question if God loves us. God deeply and intimately loves you so much sitting there right there in your seat, he knows exactly how many hairs you have on your head. We're not talking about how much. He loves us all. But I believe there are some people he likes very much, like Lynn Hammond. I know he likes her. You don't think God in having his emotions in the Bible, you see him angry. You actually, if you read between the lines in a story, he's joking with Abraham and Sarah. She's in the tent. Eve's dropping. Eve's dropping, right? Eve, hint, hint. Ladies, Eve's dropping. And God is talking to Abraham. And God says, your 90-year-old wife, your 90-year-old wife is going to have a baby. And Sarah goes, <laughs> yeah, right, right? God said, why did you laugh, Sarah? She said, I didn't laugh. He said, yes, you did. And you know what they named the baby? Isaac, laughter. He was joking around with them. Do you understand? He knew she was listening, right? Oh, the Faith Hall of Fame, you don't hear about her laughing, right? And so God, it says God sits in the heavens and laughs. He's got emotions, you don't think God in having emotions in the Bible, you see him angry, you see him joking, he sits in the heaven and laughs. So, so this God that has emotions, I just wonder, think about how much David complained over 50 times. Some Psalms are dedicated to complaining. In the 90s, if I would have written that letter... And in, in, in word of faith, let's just be real. A letter like, God, where are you? <laughs> just hurting. You know, old school thought was, well, you don't ask God where he is. You have him. No, David asked God where he is all the time. He said, you're not here. You've deserted me. Over and over and over he says it. He was real with God. God was really like a father to him. And so... Yet he was a man after God's own heart. Some of the Psalms, he's whining the whole Psalm. You can definitely see. You can be honest with God how you feel. Oh, Jim, that isn't faith to ask God to tell, to, to tell God that basically you're miserable. 
and you feel deserted. That's not a statement of faith. Well, David does it 50 plus times. You say, oh, you mean God is like us? No, we're like God. We have emotions like God. Are there times when you love your child, but you really like your child, but there's times when you love your child, but you really don't like them? So why did God like David? Why did God like David? Why did David, because David got a hold of something in his heart. David got a hold of a divine objective. A divine objective. As a young boy, he told God, I will never rest until I can get this back to a tabernacle. I will never rest. I vow I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to rest until I find a place for your presence. Not in the woods. He called it a dwelling place for the mighty one. So in the Old Testament, God dwells in this holy piece of furniture. He dwells in this, on this. This is where the priests and Moses himself communed with God right here. This is his throne. So David said, I will not rest until I find a place for the Lord. This is called the throne of God in the Old Testament. Wherever this ark went while they were running around for those 40 years, okay, this ark was present, the ark of the, co- the, the, the covenant, with the animal sacrifices that the blood from the animals was put, put here, okay? That's the once a year thing, right? That covered them for a year. Think about that. They knew they were covered for a year if all went well when he came in here and didn't die, the high priest. If all went well, they were covered for a year. Their sins were covered for a year. They knew that from the blood of an animal. But yet we don't think our stuff is covered from the ultimate sacrifice, not even a day or two, you know? But they knew just from an animal that they were covered, right? And so they were led by victory after victory, led by Moses, Joshua, the ark, and the animal sacrifices. The ark is a beautiful picture of the holiest furniture of all the objects in the temple. In the Old Testament times, let's say God is looking down from above. What's the holiest part of the earth in the Old Testament times? Israel. What's the holiest city? Jerusalem. What's the holiest place? The temple. Can we get that shot of the temple? Online, we cannot show you this because of copyright stuff. It's beautiful, is it not? That's one of the first pictures. If you just Google uh, the temple, let's look at a diagram of the temple. I don't know if how well you guys can see this. Can you see up in the corner? It says that has the numbers one through seven. You guys can't, can you? Okay. Well, the holy of holies, number two. You've got an outer court, an inner court, and inside the sanctuary. You've got the holy, that is the holiest spot in the world at that time. It is where God resided. Um, in the Holy of Holies, there's not one piece of furniture but, but the Ark of the Covenant in that room. Which means right at that time, this is the center of the universe. In the Old Testament, God said he would speak to Moses and speak to the high priest from between the wings, from between the wings, from between the wings. The high priest every year would put blood on that 
mercy seat. So what is this piece of furniture that the Israelites carried around with it? What does this point to? It points to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be talking about. This is how you read the Old Testament. I'm not saying you have to build an ark to read it. What I'm saying is Jesus on the road to Emmaus, remember the two disciples after he was crucified? They'd seen that gruesome whole thing. They didn't recognize him because he is in his, his holy body, his heavenly body. So he's walking along with them for seven miles. It was a seven-mile walk. And you know what it said he did the whole walk? He expounded on himself in the scriptures. Well, what was written? Only the Old Testament. He expounded. He's, this is the kind of teachings he was giving. Joseph, is a, he's a picture of me. He was a hint to me. He's a shadow of me. He was betrayed by his own brothers, you know, and wound up basically a king. He is a picture of me. That is all over the Old Testament. Do you hear me? All these things. And he's saying, this is how you read the Old Testament. You are not under that covenant. Do you understand? And the church is so confused by that. So confused. But let's, let's start going over this, all right? This is this box, not the lid. Look, next week we do the hook, we do the hooks, the poles. All of these have deep, deep meaning and connection to the New Testament. But the box itself is made out of a wood, an incorruptible wood, only found in Middle Eastern forests. Back in the day, incorruptible. It never corrupted. And it's plated with gold, the box. It's plated with gold, right? And so what this means is, what does this mean? Wood in the Bible. This is out of uh, Kevin J. Connor's two books, Tabernacle of Moses, Tabernacle of David. 50 pages on the ark. We're going to go do the journey of the ark, right, in the next couple of weeks. We're going to we're going to look at this and connect everything to Jesus Christ, but, but the wood speaks of our humanity, all right? In the Bible, I don't have time to prove to you that when you connect, when you see wood, you connect it to humanity. When you see gold, you connect it to deity. That's a, gold is a, is a shadow, all right? In the Old Testament of the New Testament, gold is a deity. Do you get what I'm saying? It's a deity. It, it signifies deity. The wood underneath signifies our humanity. What does all this mean when you put it together? Well, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. And you've got Jesus, I'll repeat it again, completely human and completely God. The ark itself is a type of per the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The box is wood, and I'll repeat myself, and overlaid with gold. The lid is solid gold. The lid is solid gold. Hey, just ever picture it? I just don't, I don't want to mess with this thing as a heavy lid. All right. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Hmm. <laughs> no, it would be the glory of God. Because we're not the Nazis. Right? <laughs> so... But the lid is solid gold, okay, solid gold. This is the mercy seat itself is solid gold. It covers the box. This is, this is big. And the things that are in the box are so important, all right? But it covers the box, the box being a type of humanity. It, the deity covers the box. In the box, 
there are three items, okay? Three items. Oh, we're going deep into this next week. You've got the Ten Commandments in two, two tablets. You've got a rod. You've got Aaron's rod. Not Moses. Aaron was the high priest. Moses' rod was used for judgment. God put Aaron's rod into the box. This rod budded flowers and almonds. God was showing the people of Israel, he is my chosen priest. Remember when they were in the desert and they were like, we don't have any water? And before Moses, God had told Moses to hit the rock with his staff of judgment. All right? Well, guess what happens this time? Moses is mad. God says, speak to the rock, which is a type of Jesus Christ. Speak to the rock. Okay, Moses ran back to this ark, pulls out that rod. He should have maybe died right there. These guys get in the presence of this thing and die if they're not completely pure. Grabs, the, grabs Aaron's rod, so he was making a serious point. Comes back and says, hear ye, you rebels, to two and a half million complaining people, and hits the rock with that rod. All right, boom, the water comes out. And it cost Moses his life, right? Because he's supposed to, look, let me, the first, the first time the rock was hit, right? Okay, the second time you just speak. Jesus being a type of the rock, Jesus has already been hit. All you have to do is speak to the rock, all right? And Moses ruined the type, and it cost him his life. I'm 53. I mean, under the law, I would have been dead by 15, under the law. So you've got the golden pot of manna. All these things are types and shadows um, of Jesus Christ himself. And we're gonna, next week, we are going to begin with these things. Yes, this is Jim Hammond, record time, 9 a.m., 27 <laughs> minutes, because we know 9 a.m. wants it short, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, listen. This, I'm so excited about this because uh, we're just, I just wanted to touch the outline of, of this, and I'll be back with this next Saturday night and probably the Saturday night after. Uh, I really just at this point, because Paul said he preached the cross and the cross only, the cross and the cross only. So can we just put that picture of Jesus up? And I know some, but there's some people online you haven't seen this picture. This is reality. This is the realest picture you're going to find in this world that really tells what really happened on the crucifixion. He was marred more than any man for you. For you. It said he was unrecognizable. That means his face was beaten to a pulp. These people that saw crucifixions probably once a week or once a month, saw people on crosses on, up there on Golgotha all the time, walked by him, and it says they were astonished. I mean, just think, he died and even loves those atheist professors that try to disprove him. He died for them, right? That'll always be the case as well as he died for you. And, and I really need, felt a strong urge, not just last night, but today, to make sure that everyone has Jesus. Everyone has Jesus. 
250,000 people die a day on this earth. That was a number 10 years ago. It's probably more. An estimated quarter of a million people a day die. And if you don't think they go to heaven or they go to hell, you know, universalism is becoming very popular. Uh, it's, it's the ditch of grace where they say that everyone's saved in the end. Well, why would give, Jesus give a whole parable on hell? Oh, the universalists will say, That's, that is more poetry. That's what they say. Really? Well, God's confusing a lot of Christians then when he uses his son to give a parable on a guy in hell begging for a drop of water to, to drop. This is, I don't want to scare anyone into this, right? But it's just what's in the Bible. Just give me a drop. So I just want to make sure. All you have to do, the Bible says, is believe you receive. There's all this, you believe, you believe that he died and rose again. Seven times in the New Testament. If you just, nothing, nothing no other requirement. If you just believe he died and rose again. And so I just want to make sure. So if we could have everyone, please bow your heads and close your eyes as we, because I'm just going to try to get people to raise their hand to say, I, I want to make sure that if I die today, Jim, I know where I'm going. Online, I'm talking to you. Give me a click online if you say, I want to, if I died today, I don't know where I would go. Because the Bible is clear. It says, in Psalms, it's prophesying about what Jesus would go through. It says he waited in line with the multitudes to get into hell. That's very descriptive. There's a line. Imagine the shock on people's faces. This is so true. As you're waiting in line. You ever waited in a line of prisoners to go to, into jail? I have. That's a sinking feeling. A sinking feeling, not knowing what to expect. So I'm just going to ask, because no one's looking around. It's just me and you. I'm not going to have you do anything. You're going to sit right there in your seat. Only person that's going to know is me. Can you raise your hand? If you want to tell me, I need to say this prayer sitting in my seat with you, Jim, that Jesus, that I believe Jesus died and rose again. If you, if this is all you need to do. If you need to say the prayer of salvation that ensures your eternal security, raise your hand in this sanctuary. I'm the only one that's going to see it. Once I see it, I'm going to have you put it down. I see that hand back there straight down from me. Any other hand? See the hand in the balcony to my left? Thank you, Lord. Online, give me a click. You're telling me. You're telling me. I want to make sure. This is how you make sure. Those two hands. Are there any other hands in the sanctuary? Any other hands? Oh, I see two more hands. That's four hands in the sanctuary. We're behind about a minute online, so that those will come in in about a minute. Thank you, Lord. Four, five hands, one to my left. Thank you. Thank you. Five hands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. So all you have to do if you raised your hand is just say this prayer. Because let me tell you something. Why did you raise your hand? It says you need faith the size of a mustard seed. You raised your hand and said, you just thought, I want to make sure I have Jesus. There's your faith. Just the fact that you raised your hand, you said to God, I need you. 
So when you walk out of here and the devil comes into you or comes on, on your mind and he says, you're not really a Christian just by that simple little, little prayer, yes, you are. Yes, you are. I can prove it all day. Because that's the first thing that happens. These people that raise their hand, the devil's going to come to you and say, you're not really going to heaven. Look at all you've done. Hello, I just showed you a picture. He died for all you've done and died for all you'll ever do. He just wants a close relationship with you. You say, oh, that means we can do whatever we want, Jim. No, that means you can commune with him whenever you want. No matter how much wrong you've done, you can commune with him. Just like David. So let's just repeat this prayer. We've got one hand online. Thank you for that. Hand online. Let's just repeat this prayer after me. Everyone in the sanctuary, it's just a simple prayer to the Father in heaven. Just repeat this after me. Dear God in heaven, I believe Jesus is your son. And he died and and rose from the dead for me. I believe he became every one of my sins as he hung on that cross. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, to be my Savior, and be my Lord. Thank you for saving me now. Amen.